Section One of The City of the Sun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The City of the Sun by Tommaso Campanella. Translated by Thomas W. Halliday. A poetical dialogue between a Grand Master of the Knights Hospitallers and a Genoese sea captain, his guest. Grand Master, prithee now tell me what happened to you during that voyage. Captain, I have already told you how I wandered over the whole earth. In the course of my journeying, I came to Taprobane and was compelled to go ashore at a place where, through fear of the inhabitants, I remained in a wood. When I stepped out of this, I found myself on a large plain immediately under the equator. Grand Master, and what befell you here? Captain, I came upon a large crowd of men and armed women, many of whom did not understand our language, and they conducted me forthwith to the city of the sun. Grand Master, tell me after what plan the city is built, and how it is governed. Captain, the greater part of the city is built upon a high hill, which rises from an extensive plain, but several of its circles extend for some distance beyond the base of the hill, which is of such a size that the diameter of the city is upward of two miles, so that its circumference becomes about seven. On account of the hand shape of the mountain, however, the diameter of the city is really more than if it were built on a plain. It is divided into seven rings, or huge circles, named from the seven planets, and the way from one to the other of these is by four streets and through four gates that look toward the four points of the compass. Furthermore, it is so built that if the first circle were stormed, it would of necessity entail a double amount of energy to storm the second, still more to storm the third, and in each succeeding case the strength and energy would have to be doubled, so that he who wishes to capture that city must, as it were, storm it seven times. For my own part, however, I think that not even the first wall could be occupied, so thick are the earthworks, and so well fortified is it with breastworks, towers, guns, and ditches. When I had been taken through the northern gate, which is shut with a narrow door so wrought that it can be raised and let down, and locked in easily and strongly, its projections running into the grooves of the thick posts by a marvellous device, I saw a level space seventy paces wide between the first and second walls. From hence can be seen large palaces, all joined to the wall of the second circuit, in such a manner as to appear all one palace. Arches run on a level with the middle height of the palaces, and are continued round the whole ring. There are galleries for promenading upon these arches, which are supported from beneath by thick and well-shaped columns enclosing arcades like peristyles, or cloisters of an abbey. But the palaces have no entrances from below, except on the inner or concave partition, from which one enters directly to the lower parts of the building. The higher parts, however, are reached by flights of marble steps, which lead to galleries for promenading on the inside similar to those on the outside. From these one enters the higher rooms, which are very beautiful, and have windows on the concave and convex partitions. These rooms are divided from one another by richly decorated walls. The convex or outer wall of the ring is about eight spans thick, the concave three, 
The intermediate walls are one, or perhaps one and a half. Leaving this circle, one gets to the second plane, which is nearly three paces narrower than the first. Then the first wall of the second ring is seen, adorned above and below with similar galleries for walking, and there is on the inside of it another interior wall enclosing palaces. It has also similar peristyles supported by columns in the lower part, but above are excellent pictures, round the ways into the upper houses, and so on afterward through similar spaces and double walls, enclosing palaces and adorned with galleries for walking, extending along the outer side and supported by columns, till the last circuit is reached, the way being still over a level plain. But when the two gates, that is to say, those of the outmost and the inmost walls, have been passed, one mounts by means of steps so formed that an ascent is scarcely discernible, since it proceeds in a slanting direction, and the steps succeed one another at almost imperceptible heights. On the top of the hill is a rather spacious plain, and in the midst of this there rises a temple built with wondrous art. Grand Master, tell on, I pray you, tell on, I am dying to hear more. Captain, the temple is built in the form of a circle. It is not girt with walls, but stands upon thick columns, beautifully grouped, a very large dome, built with great care in the centre of a pole, contains another small vault, as it were, rising out of it, and in this is a spiracle, which is right over the altar. There is but one altar in the middle of the temple, and this is hedged round by columns. The temple itself is on a space of more than three hundred fifty paces. Without it, arches measuring about eight paces extend from the heads of the columns outward whence other columns rise about three paces from the thick, strong, and erect walls. Between these and the former columns there are galleries for walking, with beautiful pavements, and in the recess of the walls, which is adorned with numerous large doors, there are immovable seats, placed as it were between the inside columns, supporting the temple. Portable chairs are not wanting, many and well adorned. Nothing is seen over the altar but a large globe, upon which the heavenly bodies are painted, and another globe, upon which there is a representation of the earth. Furthermore, in the vault of the dome, there can be discerned representations of all the stars of heaven, from the first to the sixth magnitude, with their proper names and power to influence terrestrial things marked in three little verses for each. There are the poles and greater and lesser circles according to the right latitude of the place, but these are not perfect because there is no wall below. They seem, too, to be made in their relation to the globes of the altar. The pavement of the temple is bright with precious stones. Its seven golden lamps hang always burning, and these bear the names of the seven planets. At the top of the building, several small and beautiful cells surround the small dome, and behind the level space, above the bands or arches of the exterior and interior columns, there are many cells, both small and large, where the priests and religious officers dwell to the number of forty-nine. A revolving flag projects from the smaller dome, and this shows in what quarter the wind is. The flag is marked with figures up to thirty-six, and the priests know what sort of year the different kinds of winds bring, and what will be the changes of weather on land and sea. Furthermore, under the flag a book is always kept, written with letters of gold. End of section 1